and welcome to another episode of the Sunday Soccer Show with Schmidt and Greg, presented to you by the Patterns of Play podcast. And we are recording again on a Sunday night because we are on schedule. Schmitty, how are we doing? Good. Two, two, uh, two in a row for us. I'm doing really well. And we are going to keep it up. So let's get right into it. This week was pretty straightforward. Across the board, Champions League, Europa League, Premier League, Bundesliga, La Liga. Very much went the way it was supposed to. Barcelona is still struggling in the league, but they have been doing well so far in Champions League. Teams that have been struggling in the Premier League have seemed to righted the ship a little bit. Manchester City, looking at them, getting a good win today against a not-so-good Sheffield United. But I think I'd love to hear your thoughts on some of the teams that are floating around at the top that normally aren't. We had Southampton versus Austin Villa today and we also had Newcastle versus Everton and where is Newcastle now 11 Newcastle's close to yeah close to the top 10 but Everton Southampton and Austin Villa are three teams who have been in and around the top six where do you want to go first let's let's uh I'll make the decision for you Southampton Austin Villa where do you want to go first just kidding this is where we're going you don't have a choice I'll just make it for you um what are your thoughts on these two teams who had a, a lot of goals scored today Southampton winning four to three what are your thoughts on Southampton and Austin Villa to start this season yeah, we've we've talked about Villa a couple times uh, on the pod already, just in terms of them kind of punching above their weight. They had that crazy game where they shellacked Liverpool that nobody was expecting them to do, um, and they've they've started very well. For them to be in the top eight teams or so in the league at this point, they will really be pleased with that because if they can keep that rate up for the rest of the season. They're easily going to stay up and they may be pushing on those kind of top eight, top 10 positions. Southampton had a slow start to the season. Uh, They were winless in September in the league. Uh, They lost, or sorry, not winless. They beat Burnley 1-0, but they lost to Palace. They got destroyed by Tottenham. Their first points that they picked up were against Burnley. From there though, They've beaten West Brom, Everton, now Villa. They tied Chelsea. They seem to be putting together a string of more consistent performances. The game itself today was absolute insanity. Um, 4-3 it ended. Southampton was up 3-0 at halftime. Ward-Prowse scored two absolutely disgusting free kicks. Just unstavable from two very different ranges too, which was impressive. He scored one that was one of those where it's almost too close and it's really tough to get it up and down over the wall. He scored another one that was more kind of standard range, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird to judge a team like Southampton because their results have been so kind of up and down. They had a terrible September and then had a phenomenal October and they're starting, you know, this month really well, but 
I, I think it's still too early to say whether they can keep that type of performance up. I, I expect them to fall back into mid table uh, as the season goes on. I don't think they have enough to really trouble the top six, but they've definitely made a very good start in today's game showed what they're capable of from dead ball situations. And, you know, when they're on their day, if Southampton can continue to be, you know, flirting with top six heading into the January transfer window, they're really like a center back away from being a really dangerous team. So they have Vestergaard who, is slow as molasses but seems to be you know able to read the game really well uh he can put a goal in every now and then which i think he's now scored one in the past two games yeah he scored today and Uh, he just straight up jumped over the two people marking him he's a handful to handle on set pieces but if they can get you know a good ball playing speedier center back to pair with him they have a team that is really, really well organized. Uh, Halston Hoodle, their head coach, comes from the the Leipzig Red Bulls, with that we talked about last last episode. Um, comes from that family. Um, I think he he was at Ingolstadt before that, but he spent two years with the Leipzig program um, when they kind of initially. I think he was the the coach that got them into the top division. And then he left slash they made him leave um, to go get somebody, somebody else <laughs> within their organization. He, since he's come in, has made this team just so much more reminiscent of what they were when they came up. You know, this was probably like seven years ago when yeah. they first came up and how fun they were when they, they had come out with uh, what? Pochettino. Yeah, Pochettino, but what was the striker that they had who like ran through the lower divisions with them and scored a ton of goals? And then he came up and was pretty dangerous in the first year or two. Hmm. Think on that. Think on a blank. But they're playing much more reminiscent of that type of team than the team that has been flirting with going down for the past few years. I want to say, and you know, we were very high on Villa the past few weeks. I want to say Southampton's going to have a better chance of finishing much higher than Villa will in the long term, just based on the coaching and the approach that they have. Yeah, I think they're stronger through their whole team than Villa are. Villa have some really good pieces, and they don't have any outright terrible problem positions but they don't have a ton of depth outside that starting 11 and i just worry about their capacity to kind of keep performance level up southampton has a lot of experience in that team even somebody like ward prowse he's been playing in the premier league with them for years now under multiple different managers so i think they just have a little bit more about them what i worry though even with the way that they're playing this season. I wonder about the mentality, if they'll really be consistent enough. I think they're capable of playing really well. They're capable of scoring a lot of goals. They showed that today, but I go back to the result against Spurs where they 
lost 5-2, and it could have been a lot worse because their defending was just a calamitous would be the best way to describe it. They were all over the place. So they need to cut games like that out of their kind of style. Otherwise, I think they're going to struggle to be consistent enough to trouble the top six. Right. Yeah, you know, the, I think it's always fun to, to talk about some of these, you know, mid-table teams potentially pushing the, the top group and making things a little bit more interesting. And we certainly see this year as being one that where that might happen a lot more than it has in the past. So I just think like the more of these teams that are putting together some semblance of decency just adds a better benefit to... Um, the overlog, the overall Premier League experience. Yeah, I mean, everybody loves a Leicester, right? Everybody loves a team that comes out of nowhere and is way overperforming and punching above their weight. So, and especially since Leicester did the damn thing and won the league, it's it's almost conditioned us to be really excited any time a team that maybe doesn't belong there starts playing really well and putting performances together. I think we're now all kind of waiting to see the next Leicester. Yeah, you know, Leicester, they they won the league, kind of meandered a bit, seem like a team that are coming back up too to be quite competitive at the top. Maybe we'll see one of these teams that have kind of been flirting around um, with the top six be one of those next next Leicesters. Um and a team that's been overachieving, I think, is still overachieving even with the players they have in their team, is is Everton. Uh, and they took on Newcastle. Didn't get a good result. <laughs> nope. Uh, Newcastle, I feel like that's two games in a row for them that have been quite decent. Yeah, they tied Wolves in their last one. Um, but to come out and beat... Everton, the team who had been at the top of the table, it beat them two to one. Um, what what do we think about Everton? We've talked a little bit about them, you know, being a, a bit of a pretender. Is this the first sign of that, or was this just kind of a fluky result? Yeah, I mean, there's there's fluky results over a course of a season. It's not really fair to judge a team on one game. Um, so, and you know that I'm very cautious usually about making crazy predictions based on one game when you wanted to doom Fulham to relegation after week one. But if they lose tomorrow, all, <laughs> is, all is over. <laughs> but I, I don't know. Again, this this Everton team is definitely the best on paper that they've had for a while, but they are starting to show those little cracks. They lost to Southampton last week. They've lost to Newcastle this week. Southampton being of those two teams to lose to, maybe the better team to lose to because Southampton are at least playing well and are high up the league table right now. But yeah, you we talk about really good teams even on an off day, have an ability to win games. Liverpool, the first couple games of the season, were not playing well, but they were picking up points and winning games. I don't, I'm don't. i not seeing that from Everton. When they're 
when they're playing well and the football's flowing and the other team is leaving themselves open to those kind of incisive passes that Hamas and that midfield can put in, then they're great on their day. They looked fine against Liverpool in the Merseyside Derby because Liverpool's a team that's going to attack them, not a team that's going to sit in a low block and kind of try to hold hold them back. They're they're starting to show that maybe they're not as clever as they may have, you know, made themselves look in the beginning couple games. And I think Ancelotti too, he opted to rest Pickford for this game. Now I have to say Pickford, maybe you could make the argument. He's not in a great mental state right now. I was reading some stories this week that him and his family are getting a lot of abuse and unfortunately as is the way with social media death threats and security concerns and all this kind of stuff. So He's had a tough week, and I can see maybe the manager did not think he was mentally fit to play, but they rest him today. They can see two goals, one of them a penalty you can't really do anything about. But I'm not sure. I don't – there's a reason – as good of a manager as Ancelotti is, there's a reason he's at a club like Everton and not at a big club anymore. Is he a little bit past it? Does he have the kind of – tactical acumen to really compete against a Klopp or a Pep or a Mourinho. I'm not, I'm not sure. And they're, they are starting to show cracks in that armor that if they can continue to be exposed by other teams, yeah, they're not going to be in the top six in a couple weeks if they keep playing like this. Yeah. To have two losses in a row to teams that you probably shouldn't lose to and having, some pretty serious injuries and in red cards right now with Hamas having an injury, um, Holgate, Coleman, and then Rochelleson and Lucas Digne, uh, both suspended. Yes. It's an interesting choice to hold out your top goalkeeper uh, when two of your better defenders are three of your better defenders are out. Uh, when you then also don't have your, creative talisman in the midfield too you know it's going to be a close one you're going to have to have somebody in net to, to potentially make that big save to keep you in the game and i mean dominic calvert lewin still playing like a freaking madman uh getting a goal late in this one but but it's an interesting choice for Mancholati. i think you're right you know he's at this type of club because he has bounced a little bit in the past couple uh, of places and had a huge fail going back to Madrid uh, in his last position. So we'll see if he can continue to get the best out of this team. Uh, They now have to deal with getting through a period of time where some of their better players just aren't going to be available. And to then go to have two games that you probably should have won and now have to go to Manchester United United tend to have good games, bad games too. So that could go either way. They'll write the ship against Fulham after that. (laughs) (laughs) But then they have to face a Leeds team. That's super competitive. Burnley, who's hard to break down. Chelsea, who are, again, a team on their day who can do anything they want. Leicester, team that's going to fight for top. Arsenal, team who's going to fight for the top. And I mean, 
they really needed to win those last two games to make it a better cushion for themselves at the yes. top. And now they really have to win a majority of these ones, especially against the big clubs to really say to themselves heading into January, okay, we're actually going for this. Now we can think about potentially strengthening in, in any positions they may need, uh, which looks like defense. They might need to just get some depth there. Um, so it's going to be an interesting next two, three weeks just to see what happens with them. And if they are continuing to win games, then I do think they have a really good shot of competing for the top of the Premier League. But if they don't make it through this next stretch, then it's going to be typical Everton. They'll finish maybe right outside Europa League again. Yeah. I think that that point about dropping these last six points that they shouldn't have dropped. I think I'm going to use this as a cheap segue into Spurs, but you look at Tottenham in their last two games, another team that's pushing for a top six position played against two teams that while not in the top parts of the table are kind of trap teams because they're very good. They're very organized. They're very well coached compared to Everton. Spurs took maximum points from those last two games, despite not really playing amazingly in either of them. That's the, that could be the difference at the end of a season between being in a top six position and being mid table, winning those games that you're supposed to pick up the points. Because again, we spoke about this last week, Spurs are now getting into a point of their schedule where they have city and then Chelsea. And then I think, Arsenal, Palace, Liverpool. That is a crazy schedule, but you have a little bit of leeway to mess up in some of those games because you took six points from the tough ones right ahead of it. So yeah, Everton, a huge missed opportunity for them losing these last two games. And with the schedule that you just rattled off, I can't see them still being in the top six come Christmas. Yeah, so there's... A lot of really, like, I think what's exciting about this is there are a lot of really good games over the next month or so. Oh, yeah. Um, come within the Premier League, within Champions League, Europa. It's just like, it's the best time of the year because every single day there's basically a game. And that's usually a pretty decent game, too. So that's just exciting in and of itself. Um, you mentioned Tottenham, so they won today 2-1 to one against Brighton. Brighton look a quality team. And so you mentioned Brighton and Burnley. I see Brighton as a team, you know, heading into this season was like, you know, they're probably a team that are going to be fighting towards the bottom of the table, and they are right now. They were honestly like a piece away from being a really solid mid-table team. So I would not be surprised if they go on a decent run. Um, the guy who scored Lamte, Tarek Lamte, pretty darn good young player. He's going to be, I would not be surprised if he makes a big move in the next year or so. Uh, but Spurs come and they use their big names to get a win. Kane with a really good penalty and Gareth Bale getting his first goal on a really good cross from Reggion, um, using his powerful head to get you a, uh, get you a dub harnessing the power of that beautiful man bun <laughs> but yeah i mean to go back to brighton real quick obviously i'm very excited about spurs getting the win and bale getting his first goal but 
right now played us for probably 60 minutes of that game easily. We were good the first 10, 15 minutes. Then the middle portion of the game, they really dominated. Their goal was nice. It shouldn't have been allowed to stand because of the foul against Hoiberg that once again, referees in England cannot use VAR properly. I have to say, this one was not VAR's fault. This was the referee's fault. Pierre-Emile Hoiberg gets fouled in the buildup to uh, Brighton's goal. They go back and look at it as they do on every scoring play. We're basically like the NFL now in the Premier League where we review every scoring play. Clear foul on Hoiberg in the buildup. Referee Graham Scott goes to the monitor on the side of the field. There's like three players from each team behind him watching it on the monitor and the body language of all the players, both Spurs and Brighton was like, up. Oh, that's not going to be allowed. Cause that was a foul. Graham Scott walks away from clear instant replay showing a foul and says, Nope, no foul. Let the goal stand. Ugh. Just ridiculous. But I, I don't want to harp on that too much. Cause we've spent way too many episodes just moaning about VAR and English referees. But in this case, it was the referee messing up. Mm-hmm. VAR was correct to have him review it. And then he just doubled down on the wrong decision. That's not <laughs> VAR's problem. But Brighton, they really were very good today. They adjusted tactically throughout the game. They changed their formation. I watched Mourinho's post-match interview, and he was talking about how the team sh- Spurs struggled to adapt to the way that Brighton was kind of changing their approach in the middle of the game. And, I thought Mourinho had a very interesting point. He said, it's very easy from the bench for us to see those tactical changes happening, but for the players on the field, it's maybe not as easy. So we kind of limped into halftime and Mourinho could probably impart what he was seeing on the players. But I mean, there were large periods of that game where I thought "Eh, this has a Spursy loss written all over it. Mm -hmm. But like you said, the depth that Mourinho has on the bench is going to be so critical this season because he's he's able in this game to bring on Giovanni Lo Celso, Gareth Bale, and then late in the game when he's got, you know, uh, Brighton pushing their center back up as an auxiliary forward, he's able to bring on Ben Davies as a third center back. Those three substitutions, there's very few teams in the league that can bring on that degree of quality, certainly the first two. I mean, Ben Davies, I like him. He's not a special player necessarily, but he's a very experienced Premier League defender. Being able to bring on Lo Celso and Bale to change a game, and Bale does exactly what you needed him to do. He pops up in the right spot, scores a goal, very good technique. Um, that That's the difference between drawing games like that and dropping points and winning games like that and taking all the points is the depth that we finally have to call on off the bench. Yeah, he's he definitely made his point, whether it was during the summer or just throughout the season last year, that he needed more players to be able to make this work. Uh, and he definitely has that now, which is very, very exciting to see kind of how he utilizes this team in a you know, a schedule that's going to be thick and fast with Europa League. And once you get into the winter holiday season, games just are basically every other day. So we'll hope to see him try and figure out the best way to go about doing it so you don't drop a game like you did against Royal Antwerp earlier this week. 
uh, because, you know, I, I still think Europa League is the best chance of you winning something this year. Um, and he's going to have to just figure out how to play with the, the lineups a little bit more to figure out the best groupings and how, how to get these types of results each and every game. Yeah. I think the Europa League hiccup this week, as disappointing as it is, it's probably not going to cost us qualifying. We had already won our first game. So if we're going to drop a game out of the last three that we played, I'd rather lose that group stage game because we have time to make up for it than lose either of the Premier League games, knowing again that we're coming into a stretch where we're going to play four top six teams in a month and a half. So I think, and the other thing that's encouraging to me at least is that we're not, you know, we didn't destroy Burnley or Brighton. We had to really struggle through those games. We're picking up points when we're arguably not playing at our best. Mm -hmm. So if we, if he can get the team into a point where we're in a run of good form and we're really playing well, then that I think bodes incredibly well for our points tally come the end of the season. We're picking up points when we're not playing well. So in theory, if we start to play better, we'll win even more games. For sure. And we saw other teams around the Premier League uh, towards the top get results that uh, were more reminiscent of what they should be doing. So we said already Man City beat Sheffield United, Chelsea beat Burnley three to nothing. Liverpool, I think they came back. Yeah, they beat West Ham 2-1. Yeah, so they were down one nothing early, and they came back and won 2-1. to one. Diego Yota, another huge signing for them. Seems to be a player that is fitting in quite well to the Klopp system. Chelsea, um, they just have a, so many players that can just be so dynamic with Zayek and Werner both scoring heard that Pulisic was supposed to start that game got hurt but as you had said to me earlier this weekend that it wasn't too serious so hopefully he will be back soon but that can give us a good segue kind of into the Bundesliga because Werder Bremen got a good result against Frankfurt getting a 1-1 tie with uh, Josh Sargent getting their goal so another American getting a good opportunity Seems like he has now become a stalwart in their starting lineup. He is starting for them each and every game, which has been something that we have been hoping for the past few years, and now it seems he's finally broken into that. Uh, the other games seem to go the way they should have with Dortmund winning, Bayern Munich winning today, Bayer Leverkusen winning. But I want to get your thoughts on this because Leipzig have had a very huge bump in the road. They're another team kind of like Everton who started the season off really well, both in the Bundesliga and in champions league, but they have now lost their past. Let's see. I think it's just two past two games. They had, like I said, they've been playing really well, basically not giving up any goals. But they lost to Manchester United five to nothing earlier this week in Champions League. 
and then they lost to Bayer, uh, Bayer München Gladbach today or yesterday, one nothing. What the heck is happening? And <laughs> what 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 are your thoughts? Do you, you think they're just coming back down to earth or what? <laughs> I'll tell you what's happening, Greg, and you're not going to like it, but I'll remind you of a conversation a couple of weeks ago on this very podcast where you had the hot take that they were going to progress out of their Champions League group at the expense of most likely Manchester United. And then to prove you wrong as emphatically as possible, Man United completely curb stomped them this week. So I think this is partially your fault uh, on a serious note. Leipzig are going to struggle without Timo Werner this year. He was a big source of goals for them and as as solid as the rest of their team is and as much as they didn't really lose too many other pieces of that team, losing Werner takes sucks 30 goals out of that team. You're not going to get those back from Yusuf Paulson. I think they're they're not as dangerous in attack as they were last season. And that's that's not a brilliant piece of analysis. That's obvious because they lost Werner. But if you look at their results this season, they haven't really blown anybody away. The most goals they've scored in a game was three. Their biggest win was a... Four. Oh, four? Who'd they score four Schalke, against? Four nothing. Schalke, right. Oh, yeah, that was week one. So besides Schalke, who are dire this season, they haven't blown anybody away. They're not looking as solid defensively. You talked about their, you know, they're being very, a very physical team and a very organized team. Didn't really see any of that against United in midweek. And I think that big loss probably knocked their confidence down a little bit. Gladbach isn't an easy team to play against. And again, Gladbach themselves have had some good results they very nearly got Real Madrid in the Champions League this week before they got pegged back by Casemiro very late. So I think it was a case of wrong team, wrong time. They came off a big loss in the Champions League, and then instead of getting one of the softball teams from the Bundesliga, they got a team that's actually playing pretty well right now, and they ended up losing a close game. I don't, I don't think they're in trouble necessarily, but they're not going to be as serious of a contender against the other teams in the Bundesliga towards the top as they would have been if they still had Werner. They'll still finish top four in the Bundesliga. They're not going to trouble Bayern or Dortmund for the first two spots. I haven't. I didn't watch this game against Gladbach. I did watch the first half and a little bit more of the United one. I'm interested to see, I'm, I might actually go back and watch this one against Gladbach because I'm interested to see the past two games they played in the back four, which is not something they typically do uh, over the past few years. They, they've kind of flexed more into a three, four, three, but I think kind of to your point is they don't have really any other striker besides Holson. They have Alexander Sorloff that they got from Palace, but he's he's not the the you know speedy counterpart to Polson that Werner was. 
Yeah. And they also have, I think, flexed to this back four because right now, Michele and Klosterman are hurt. Kanate didn't start in this game, didn't play in this game against Gladbach. It looks like he flexed uh, Nagelsmann. He kind of flexed his lineup based on playing midweek weekend because mm-hmm. Hadara, Forsberg, the big attacking signing they made, which he Chen Huang that they got from, I think, Salzburg and Nkunku all came off the bench. But they really... I think Nagelsmann needs to potentially just make a decision on do we have the players to play in the 3-4-3 that gets the best out of this team? And if not, if we're going to play in the back four system that's a little bit more defensively focused, maybe we don't be that super high-pressing team that we typically have been and we play some of our speedier players up top like the he also got another guy justin Clivart is another attacker that they got who i think is a little bit more of a quicker attacking player or they're gonna have to go out and find a Werner type speed player to come in in january to then fit the style of play that nagelsman wants to be on offense because defensively you know to push back on your point that they haven't been i mean they the last two games, I mean, even against Gladbach, they, it was only a one-nil loss. Right. Really, just the United game that was an issue because otherwise, they are, they've had one, two, three, four shutouts already this season. So defensively, they actually seem to be okay. I think it's the goal scoring that might need to be addressed moving forward for them to be trying to compete at a level like they were last year. Yeah, I, I, I would agree a little bit. I don't, I don't think they're defensively suspect most of the time. Anybody can have a bad result and, and give up a lot of goals, but to your point, they, when certain key players are out and certainly Klosterman and Mukiel are very crucial to playing that wingback system and that 3-4-3. When you don't have those guys and you have to go to a plan B, are you really comfortable in that plan B? And and to your point, I don't think they are. Uh, again, they've, they've scored goals this season. They've scored a lot of goals this season, really only against teams that are not very good. I'm concerned about their ability to do it against teams that are organized and defend well. And I think that's what they've run up against in their last two games is teams that are not just going to gift them goals. Uh, because, to, like you said, their, that big win against Schalke, I mean, the defending from Schalke was comical. And that was a Schalke team that either the week before that or the week after that had shipped seven goals to Bayern or something ridiculous. So I, I think their, their problem is an attack, somebody to compliment Paulson, somebody who brings that speedy stretch the line style that Werner does, but that's their biggest problem because you can't, 
you can't just take 30 plus goals out of a team and expect that to still function the way it did with those goals. Speaking of teams that have been playing poopy teams, Barcelona shifting quickly here to La Liga. Barcelona are an interesting subject matter this year. I know we've, we've talked about them a little bit. Their president or board or whatever finally resigned. Their board resigned this week. Yeah. Um, they have now lost to Deportivo and Getafe on top of losing to Real Madrid. They tied deeper too. They didn't, they didn't lose to them, but um, they have now not won in the league because they also tied against Sevilla since the 1st of October. So they basically didn't win any of their games in October. It's good. They got a good result against Juventus in Champions League, but Ronaldo was out. With the board resigning, what do you think is the next step for this club in their clear renaissance of needing to figure things out here? Uh, Is it allowing Ronald Koeman to, to get the players that he wants? Is it allowing a Lionel Messi to get what he wants? Or is allowing this to be a complete blow up button hit the button and let's just restart everything uh to be honest i I don't think i'm qualified to answer that question i can if you were in charge of barcelona they i was in they have i was in charge member spots open for you right now (laughs) well i mean do you want we could apply no (laughs) care of Care of the Patterns I, of Play podcast, two applications, Greg Margolis and Mike Schmidt. We bring absolutely no experience to the table. <laughs> I don't um, even want to touch that club right now. If if I was calling the shots, I I think I would go for the the uh, the big red button of reboot. I think they that is so much nonsense for one club to overcome they have personnel problems they have obvious just running of the club problems the manager obviously doesn't feel like he's getting the backing or the players that he needs there are so many things wrong that i don't even really know where to start but i think i think if you've a logical place to go is obviously you need to replace the board that you just had resign and you need to get people who have some sort of vision for what the club needs to be and what the club needs to do to be successful again. Because like we spoke about your Barcelona, you're expected to win things every season. There's no such thing as a rebuild season for a club like Barcelona that their fans are going to be happy about. So the challenge for me, for the new board is you've got this manager. If you're sticking with him, you have to figure out how to support him. You have to figure out what he needs. And that needs to come before any ego, any player preference or loyalty that you have to these guys from 10 years 
as far as I'm concerned, Messi may be the only irreplaceable person in that team. You don't owe the rest of them anything if they're going to stand in the way of your progress. So I think if Kuman is your guy, you got to do what he needs you to do. And if you're not going to do that, you're not going to succeed because he's putting the team out every week. So if you're not supporting him and giving him what he needs to win games, you're not going to win games. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the lineup that they put out there and the thing, the moves that he made, Kuman made at halftime, Griezmann, Messi, and I think Ansu Fati has kind of had a little bit of a coming out this year uh, as a, a young player. That the, He's quite the, good, yeah. I think those are three, along with Frankie de Jong, that you are building around. Serginio yes. Dest is one that's come in and has been a quality player for them so far this year. It looks like PK is still decent enough at center back, but you need to pair him with a young up-and-coming center back. Upa Makano is one who would fit in with them really well because he's a ball-playing, dribble-out-of-the-back style center back. Very athletic, too, yeah. They need someone to complement the goal scoring aspect of things with Suarez leaving. They need to replace that. And yeah, Griezmann scored the goal for them, but he still hasn't really fit in at Barcelona like he did with Atletico Madrid. Busquets is the oldest man alive now on this team. You just get get him out and find yourself someone who is actually going to play in the midfield and create Pedri, I think, is the one who they bring on, potentially, or, or Pjanic, who came from Juventus. Two are good options. Mm-hmm. I just think it's time to stop, like you said, don't be bound to the things of the past with this club. You need to start thinking about what you're going to need to do moving forward to make this be a competitive team in La Liga and to go deep into the Champions League. And Neto and Net is utter trash garbage. Um, he just does not come off as someone who I think is a, a valuable player for them. And Tersteggen's hurt, so you're kind of stuck with that. But yeah, that's that's gotta more go hard. out and get somebody else potentially to back up Tersteggen in the future. I mean, Neto's not a. He's not a bad goalkeeper for a backup position. I think that's more a, a consequence of circumstance that without Ter Stegen, they're a little shakier. I mean, Ter Stegen has an argument to be in the top five keepers in the world. Going from him to anybody else is going to be a downgrade. But yeah, the weird thing is, even when you just talk about the lineup that they have right now, that attack should still be enough to be winning you games almost <laughs> by itself. Griezmann, Messi, and to the your Bay point, Fati, that kid, that kid can play. Like they, <laughs> it's not that they don't have the pieces. It's not that they don't have talent. They just can't seem to find a way to make the best use of it. And the argument over the years has always been, do they cater too much to Messi? And as a result of that, are other players not really able to flourish? Look at a player like Neymar being the talisman of PSG versus being just another guy out there supporting Messi 
at Barcelona. There's Messi is so kind of ingrained into the identity of that club that his presence is almost disruptive to any other player there because nobody is going to walk into that team and be able to credibly demand that they should be catered to over a guy who keeps winning best player in the world. So there's just this, this weird balance of priorities at Barcelona. And a lot of it is political. And a lot of it is just the heritage of this being the messy team for the last decade. They, they need to just build a team that is competitive with Messi instead of build a team that has to constantly cater around Messi and hope it's competitive. Yeah. And and looking at the stats from this game, I mean, stats can only tell you one story, but when you have, it's this, this idea of the tiki-taka style that we talked about, I think last episode too, when you have 80% of the possession, you have 25 total shots with 20 chances coming from them. But only having two big chances, what the hell is the point of having the ball that much if you're not really creating thing anything from it? Where Deportivo had 20% of the ball, four total shots, two chances, one big chance, which they scored. They were way more efficient with what they were doing. So yeah, I think you're the- right. You're right. And it's the idea of they they have the players, but they don't have the right system right now to get the most out of this team. Is that because it's a messy catered style or is it because they're still trying to work it out with what Kuman's trying to put in place? Who knows? Cause I mean, I haven't really watched them right now. They're one. I think I need to watch in this next week or two to kind of see what they're trying to do Yeah, to figure that out. And I mean, we're we're playing the FIFA match facts game right now. A team that has twenty odd chances that doesn't score most of them, and then the other team gets one or two and scores them. But when Barca were at their kind of zenith and playing for that two or the three year stretch where they were untouchable, they strangled you with that possession. They they tired you out and even though they had all of that possession they used it in a very purposeful way and they were able to create those those magic moments and finish them because they had so much of the ball and they had these creative forces in that team that could make anything happen they could break into freaking alcatraz with chavi and and messi and those guys running that midfield that there's they're missing that right now and when you're missing that and you just possess the ball for possession's sake we've talked about it every week in the premier league it's relatively easy for a professional soccer team to sit in a low block and limit chances if they know they're not going to have possession so if you are going to play that possession heavy style and try to bore a team to death you still need those those incisive moments where you create a real chance. And like what you just said, all right, they had 25 shots, 20 chances, but of those 20 chances, they had maybe two or three good ones. That's a terrible, in in no other arena would a 15% success rate be considered good. They can't, 
they can't be wasting that many opportunities. So yeah, they there's just there's just something fundamentally broken with the football they're trying to play right now. And I don't know who needs to figure it out, but they need to figure it out quickly. Yeah, they're they're a team right now that I would love to just kind of follow a little bit more closely because they have been a team that we really haven't had to worry about and have this conversation about for our entire lives. Most of our soccer supporting life. Yeah. yeah. So they're one to, to kind of be on the lookout for, to see what's going on and just see what, how they're going to work through this process, which brings us to uh, looking ahead a little bit. We have Fulham versus West Brom tomorrow, which is a battle of shit at the bottom of the table. And honestly, the team that wins this game will probably be the one who might find their way out of the of relegation in the long run. So please, 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 Fulham, actually play some decent soccer and get a result in this one. Because if we lose this game, I really, like, we're, we're going down. Like, we're going down if we don't win this game. That's all I want to say about that one. I know, I know the folks listening can't see Greg's face, but the desperation is palpable in, <laughs> in how badly he feels that Fulham needs to win that game. I don't disagree with that assessment. If Fulham can't beat the fellow strugglers, they, they got nothing because those are the team. That's, that's the proverbial six pointer tomorrow. You win that game. It's huge. You lose that game. You're just, tying the big old anchor around your ankles and you're going to stay rooted to the bottom of the table. Cause if you can't yep. beat teams like that, there's no hope for you. They need to beat West Brom. They need to beat West Ham. If Not they, easy. If they win those two and go into an Everton team that might be still struggling, maybe they're able to put a little bit of run of form into the rest of this month because then it comes into the time where we have to play the big teams. And I, I don't even want to look at that right now. So yeah, don't, um, don't do that to yourself. I will say though, you got to take care of business against West Brom tomorrow. West Ham isn't an easy game either. It's a Derby West Ham annoyingly always show up for those. And they, I mean, they nearly did it against Liverpool this week too. They've now had three games in a row against bigger teams where they've avoided losing two out of three of them. And they very nearly did the same thing to Liverpool. So that's not an easy game. Fulham have to win against West Brom so that they can go into that West Ham game, that London Derby with confidence. Otherwise that's a very tough team to beat right now. Yep. Totally agree. So one game at a time, Monday, tomorrow, come on, go get a tub, please. Please, please. Leeds plays against Leicester tomorrow, too. That's a really fun game to definitely tune into. Uh, Champions League this week. Bayern Munich plays Salzburg. So Jesse March, the American Salzburg coach, that'll be a fun one for for him to get that experience playing against a team that he will probably see in the near future quite consistently because I do expect him to move to the Bundesliga as a head coach in his next jump from Salzburg. Real Madrid play Inter. Inter are a team that are kind of all over the place right now with Conte at the helm. They seem to win some games 
and lose games that they should win. They're another team that in Serie A right now have not had the run of form that they've wanted. Atalanta versus Liverpool. If you want to see two teams that are high press, high pace, that's a really fun game to watch. Uh, Wednesday, we have nothing really entertaining. Leipzig versus PSG is the big one. And then for Europa League, Milan versus Lille is going to be a great one. Milan, before I say this, I think they're still undefeated. I think they tied. Yeah, still undefeated. Milan, AC Milan. So keep that run of form going for them. That would be wonderful. Otherwise, nothing too eye-opening this week. Uh... This weekend is the huge derby, Derby, Dortmund versus Bayern for claim of the top of the Bundesliga right now. Should be a great game. That is a huge one. Uh, we have Everton versus Manchester United. That's another huge one at the top of that table. Spurs Man City this weekend too, I think. Sunday, we'll switch ahead. This, this coming weekend. Nope, you play West Brom. Oh, sorry. I'm looking ahead two weekends. Liverpool versus Manchester City. A better game probably than Spurs Man City would have been. Yeah, so that'll (laughs) be a quality one as well. So there are, again, it's just going to keep coming each and every day for the next month and a half for soccer. If you are a fan, there are plenty of games happening for sure to be tuning into. Uh, if you are a fan of the women's soccer game, Manchester United is playing Arsenal on Sunday. Those are two quality teams at the top of the WSL in England. Uh, highly recommend watching with Tobin Heath and Kristen Press on Manchester United uh, and Danielle Van de Donk on Arsenal, who's a Netherlands national player who is quite talented. So that is all sorts of games that we covered from this past week, all sorts of games that are happening this next week. I think that about sums everything up, Schmidt. I think so. A lot of, uh, like you said, a lot of good soccer coming up. I think all of us in the U.S. could use a good distraction on Tuesday, so the Champions League will be a very uh, welcome welcome case of that. Uh, But yeah, I mean, you can't really go wrong with having high quality soccer on basically every day. I mean, the run you just talked about from Monday, literally the entire week, Monday through Friday, there's games on good games from good leagues with good teams at a time when, you know, a lot of us have way more time to watch this stuff than we normally would. It's a gift to have that quality uh, of matches on basically every day. So I'm looking forward to it. Should be a really good week of matches. Give us plenty to talk about for next weekend as well, which is always nice. And yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah, With, with so much, unfortunately locking down again um, abroad and who knows what's going to happen here in the States. It's just, it's good to see that sports have figured out a good way of about going through the testing process to allow players to keep doing what they love to do and and fans to keep watching at least 
you know, from their, their households right now yeah, uh, to keep I, watching and everything like that. Honestly, I think it's, it's probably more valuable than people think to be at least be able to have that outlet. Um, you mentioned lockdowns. I'm pretty sure England announced a second one just this weekend. Uh, but the Premier League is not going to be suspended in that window. So I think, yeah, there's, there's tons of conversations to be had about some of the effects of lockdown. Boredom is certainly one of them. Uh, but with this much footy on TV, uh, if you're a fan of the game, uh, there's not much to complain about when it comes to the entertainment that's available. Absolutely. So thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Sunday Soccer Show with Schmidt and Greg presented by the Patterns of Play podcast. If you are listening in the States, make sure you go out and vote. Get your your voice heard in this crazy, crazy election year. Alrighty. Well, thank you all again for listening. Have a great rest of your week.